This podcast was recorded on the southern tip of Vancouver Island, the traditional territories of the Lekwungen peoples. We acknowledge and thank the Lekwungen people, also known as the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations communities, for their stewardship, care, and leadership on these lands. Turn it on. Hey, what's up? I'm Brad Challoner. This is Coach's Calls, conversations with the leaders of lacrosse, a place where we get deeper into the insights and philosophies of some of lacrosse's greatest minds, building winning teams, getting the most out of players, creating culture and tradition. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. My next guest is a gentleman and a scholar, for real. He has a master's degree in coaching, and yes, that's a real thing. He's regarded as one of the brightest minds in the National Lacrosse League. He is Georgia Swarm head coach Ed Camo, a lifer behind the bench. He got his start coaching the McMaster University field lacrosse team in Hamilton, Ontario in 1987 before jumping into the junior loops with Burlington and Brampton during the 90s. Joining the Toronto Rock from their inception, Ed Camo has been coaching in the National Lacrosse League for 25 years and has coached a lot of the game's best players. He's won six, count them, six titles, most recently with the Swarm in 2017, a season in which he was also awarded the prestigious Les Bartley Award for the NLL's Head Coach of the Year. Fitting as he was the late Bartley's offensive coordinator in Toronto, for who which the award is named after. He won four NLL titles with Toronto and his fifth as a head coach with Rochester in 2007, another year where he was named head coach of the year. Como is also a recipient of the GM of the Year Award when he coached and managed the New York Titans to the NLL final in 2009. That was a hybrid team of legendary American box lacrosse players that he got the best out of. Only one man has coached more games in the NLL, and that's his good friend, Derek Keenan. Internationally, Camo is the GM of Team Canada's men's indoor team. They'll be competing at the 2024 World Championship, and he has gold medals as a GM in 2019 and as GM and head coach with Canada in 2015. A lengthy resume. But I think one of the most interesting things about Eddie is if you look behind the benches in the National Lacrosse League, most teams are coached by players who played against each other kind of a decade ago in the National Lacrosse League. Kaluski, Malowski, Clark, Latisseur, Hazen, Tavares, Coyle. The list goes on and on. Eddie's kind of an elder statesman from that group and a really respected and renowned voice across the National Lacrosse League with a unique perspective on how to bring the old world into the new world and still get the most out of players coming out of college. Ed Camo is on Coach's Calls. Thanks for listening. I don't think we've ever met in person or I've ever no, chatted with you before, so yeah. nice, to, yeah. nice to do this finally. Yeah, same same here. Yeah, I know I see lots of your work on uh, the TV and the internet and everything, so great, great job. And we love uh, the fact that there's so many people passionate about uh, lacrosse out there, so it's right, awesome. Right on. Well, you've been stuck down in Georgia for so long. You haven't been up in Vancouver a ton or any of the Western Canadian games. I'm uh, I'm excited for this new schedule because Vancouver gets you twice this year, so we're and you got a TSN yep. game this year, so that's awesome. Oh wow! I, I honestly I didn't even know we had a TSN game, which is good because we uh, I think last year I don't think we were on uh, TSN one one time last year, and uh, and I think Lyle uh, we only were had one ESPN game, and it was Lyle and uh, against New York, Georgia, New York, and oh, Lyle perfect. versus Teat, and yeah. they went. 
they went no goals both of them the whole game. So we said that wasn't the, that wasn't in the script. That's for sure. You can tell the NLL's not scripting our games when uh, Lyle and Teeter go uh, zeros for the bagels yeah, for the game. That'll that'll never happen again in history. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, TSN game does Georgia at Vancouver December sixteenth. Oh, nice, good, good. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's our second game of the season. So yeah, it's exciting. What do you think of the schedule now that you're going to see unified standings and you're going to play every team once for the first time? You know, I mean, there was always the, you know, the the East is better than the West. And there were some years where the West was better than the East. And, it, you know, I think this just negates that and and puts everyone, you know, pretty much on an even playing field. I mean, there's still going to be a little bit of inequity. But, I mean, it's just, you know, unless we're, unless we're prepared to play, you know, 28 games, then, you know, you're not going to get the opportunity to play everybody twice. So uh, I, I think it's good. Uh, you know, uh, it, it is fresh instead of going to, you know, Albany twice and, uh, you know, uh, Philadelphia twice, you know, getting to go to San Diego and Panther City and Vancouver. And so, yeah, I, I think it's good. And, and the way it's set up is that, you know, teams are going to alternate year to year. So, you know, we go there this year, they come there next year. So, yeah, I, I, I think most people are pretty happy with it and excited that it's, uh, you know, we're going to see some fresh faces, which is, uh, you know, I, and it's funny because we, you know, we, you know, sometimes I'll watch a, a weekend we're off or I'll watch a, a Vancouver game and I'll be like, I don't even know who those guys are. Like, <laughs> we, don't, you know, we don't play them. So I'm not like, I'm not spending time like scouting them. And I'm like, man, who is that guy? Like, you know, so uh, yeah, this will be, you know, it's going to put a little extra work, I think, with all the, uh, all the staffs out there familiarizing ourselves with all the different teams but uh, i think it's uh yeah i think it's good for the league and uh good for you know sponsorship potential having kind of that you know north american schedule and and uh yeah i think everyone seems to to like it will it change the way that you have to just prep travel wise and get the guys together on the road more yeah, I mean, no doubt from an ownership point of view, I think there's, you know, probably some more cost, which, you know, I think the owners all are aware of that. And, and I mean, they obviously signed off on this. So, but for us, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of planning, right? Like, you know, we're, you know, we're in Vancouver on a Saturday, then we're in Colorado on a Friday. So, I mean, there's talk about, geez, do we, you know, does, you know, we've got lots of guys who have full-time jobs that need to come back home, but other guys that, hey, maybe they fly right to Denver and get kind of acclimatized to to there. And so uh, there's, you know, talk like that. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're a team that different than like, say, a Vancouver or, or a Toronto or Buffalo, where when we fly to games, you know, we got guys flying from all over the place. So, when we go on the road like that and, and we have kind of a back-to-back even on the road, which I know a bunch of teams do, it's, it's actually kind of good because we get to travel. You know, we all travel. We play in San Diego. We travel to San Diego. And then the whole team travels to, you know, to Texas on the Saturday. So, uh, th- yeah, for us, we, we like that because we don't get an opportunity to do that a whole lot. And, and it is a lot of fun and, you know, getting the whole group together. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, logistically – you know, with, with the number of the teams, you know, doing on the road back-to-backs, there's a little bit of logistics involved. But, uh, you know, not not unlike what, you know, those of us who have been in the league a lot of years have, you know, seen these type of things before. So it's not, you know, really unknown to us. We just have to, you know, prepare a little bit sooner, a little bit, you know, a little bit more. Might even be a benefit for a team like Georgia, the way you're describing it. You guys might actually get together more on the road and on some of these trips and have a chance to – to really bond and create that family culture. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think one of our, uh, one of our, our 
best games last year was on a uh, on a back to back. I think we played at home on a Friday, and then we played a Sunday in Halifax, and everyone traveled together. And and you know we had a really good game in Halifax. So I, I think it really does benefit. And, and something you know back when I was in Rochester and in Toronto, uh, you, you kind of took for granted the fact that you'd all travel together. And we had you know so much fun as as a group. You got twenty you know, 25 people and, you know, almost 30 people, including staff and traveling on a, on a, and you just have so much fun. So, uh, and yeah, so for us, I think it, it'll be good. And uh, especially that, you know, that back-to-back weekend, we'll, you know, we get to Texas on a Saturday, we don't play it all Sunday. So, you know, maybe sample some, uh, some good food uh, down there and, uh, and, you know, that time of year, maybe enjoy some better weather than what we would have. Maybe not, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it for sure. You know, I've read a little bit about and heard it over podcasts over the years about some of the un- unconventional things that Les Bartley was doing for for team building and cohesion 25 years ago. Um, you know, and I've, I've just heard it spoken about more in in broad terms that he was unconventional and maybe ahead of his time with sports psychology and team building. What are some of the things specifically that you guys were doing back then that maybe you're still doing now today that you that you learned and picked up from Les? I think the biggest thing that Les brought to the game was just the study of video. Like he was, he was using video when we were using VHS tapes and uh, believe me, it wasn't easy. And, and it's something that he really understood the the value of it and the importance of, of having, uh, of, of studying video. And, you know, a great example was, you know, he's watching video and he watches, uh, you know, TK, Tracy Kluski and, Every time Tracy would would throw a backhand, he'd dip his shoulder. So, I mean, that was something that Les picked up on video and something that all of a sudden now our man's short, we see him dip his shoulder, we know he's throwing a backhand, we're jumping that pass, right? So little things like that that Les did. But, you know, we we met with, you know, before it was kind of cool to do it, we met with uh, a sports psychologist, uh, Dr. Greg Shelley out of Ithaca and Johnny Meridian was involved with the rock back then. And, and Johnny uh, was doing his master's at, uh, at Ithaca college and knew Dr. Shelley. And we went down and we met with him and uh, you know, Derek, uh, Derek uh, Keenan, myself, John, Johnny and Les. And we met actually in Derek's brother-in-law's cottage, Joe Nodyke's cottage right on the lake, <laughs> beautiful lake in the wintertime, mind you, but uh, we met with him and uh, it was great. And he, you know, he talked to us about, you know, how to, how to, how to, how to coach and not, not how to coach X and O's, but, you know, dealing with people. And, and one of the things, the most impactful thing that he ever said to me, and I've told this story a number of times is, you know, he asked us the question, we got in the room, he asked us the question, who do we coach? And we said, well, we coach the Toronto Rock. And he said, no, who do you coach? And we said, Toronto Rock. And he asked us again, and we're like looking at each other, like, what the hell? And he says, no. He says, you coach the 23 players that make up the Toronto Rock. And that is something that, you know, we really took to heart uh, less. And, and we did uh, a lot of stuff about developing personal relationships with players. And it's just so important that, you know, sometimes when you're a coach or a GM in the league, you, you know, you're looking at the, the big picture. And, you know, the big picture is painted by many people, you know, that are painting those individual pictures. And so really creating those, creating the, the relationships with players, uh, understanding players. Um, and, and Les used to say something where we would, uh, we would, uh, we used to practice in Grimsby at a facility called Lake Mount. And they had an upstairs kind of restaurant area and we would have our meetings there before practice. And I remember one time we were, uh, 
you know, we were, we were running late, you know, it was like 15 minutes before practice guys still had to get dressed and taped and, you know, and, and I was back in the room and I kind of gave Bart the, the watch thing. Hey, we're, we're running out of time. And he just nods at me and he just continues on. And, and afterwards he said to me, uh, Eddie, what we do up here is sometimes more important than what we do down there. And, and again, very impactful. And, uh, there's a picture at the, uh, at the ILA uh, facility in uh, Oshweekin of the Toronto Rock 1999 team. And uh, we were there over the summer and uh, I was with John Arlotta and we looked through and we said, you know, look, look at the number of players from this team that are coaching or have coached in the National Lacrosse League. And it was, you know, it was probably 75% of those players. And, yeah. and uh, you know, every one of those guys may not have agreed with some of the things Les did or his, his, uh, his delivery, but I, you know, every one of those guys has taken something that Les did and incorporates it into their their coaching regime. So it's yeah, his his impact was powerful, um, and and you know he he taught me a lot about uh, about dealing with people, and that's you know that's one of the biggest things. And uh, he you know he was he was a master, and I used to say he'd he'd spend a you know he'd give you a shit for a half hour, and you'd walk away feeling good about it, like he just knew how to do that and. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was a real master at dealing with people and, and that came across and, and I think players really wanted to play for that, wanted to, to play in that type of an atmosphere where they felt valued and they felt like they were not just a player, that they were a person. So great legacy and something that, uh, as I said, so many other coaches in the league, I'm sure share these days. Well, there's so many directions I want to go. You could say the same about yourself now. Look at all you – I was going to joke about how you, all your ex-assistants are running away from you because they're spread out all over the league now too, um, which was, was a pretty good legacy that I thought you're, that you're building yourself, sir. Um, but what, what specifically about learning about a player's personality and getting close to them? Like what can you take away from learning about a player that is going to, to, help, their, to help their game? Is it just how to – communicate with guys differently, what guys goals are like, what are you looking to get out of a player by learning about them more personally? That, I mean, all those things you said are so true. Like sometimes it's goals. Sometimes it's, uh, it's understanding how a player communicates and, you know, there's players that, you know, we can have a conversation with, I could say, you need to go do this and they'll go do it. Other players, I need to draw that up for them and other players, we need to walk through it. So it's, it's, it's understanding that with those athletes and, you know, it's not, it's not one size fits all. And, and I always take, you know, take the task when I hear coaches, I treat all my players the same. I always call, you know, pull on that because I said, you just can't, everyone's different. And what works for, you know, one player is going to be completely the opposite for another player. So it's really getting to understand, you know, what, you know, what's important to them, what motivates them, how to communicate with them. And also on, on a personal level, we, we all have lives outside of lacrosse and uh, you know, anyone who's had, you know, anyone who's had anything go on in their life, uh, they know how that affects other parts of their life and, and understanding, Hey, someone's going through a tough time at home. Someone's, you know, just lost their job. Um, you know, someone has a family member that's ill. Like those things are, those things are important to know. And, and uh, but they're not usually volunteered. Those are things you have to ask and you have to have conversations with players and, and having those conversations, you know, and, and sometimes deep conversations in, over the years that you, you, you learn more about your, your player and, uh, and, and, you know, it can't be phony. It can't be, uh, I'm trying to be phony about this and, and think that I care. It's gotta be genuine. And, and that's something that 
else that Les always, you know, really made sure of that when he took an interest in someone, it wasn't, you know, an interest in the, the player, it was an interest in the person. And it came across very genuine. And, you know, you can ask, you know, guys like Glenn Clark and Jim Feltman and Dan Latticer and those guys, all those guys all, you know, had, had great, meaningful conversations with Les over the years. And, and I'm sure they could probably, you know, you know, talk about some of the things he said verbatim. That's how impactful those conversations were. Wow. There's a legendary story, something that you, you did, that story that Dan Dawson tells a lot about you pulling him aside when he was about to get drafted and teams were inquiring. And the way he tells it is that you were like, Hey, you're not good enough right now. And I'm not ready to give a recommendation, but I think you could get there. Do you remember that conversation? Like what's your, what's your side of that story? Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was a little different, but same premise, but he uh, was during the season. uh, We were at uh, Iroquois park arena in Whitby. And and he, after the game, he came up to me and asked to be traded. And uh, I like it. I'm a pretty calm guy. I lost it on him. Like I <laughs> told him, like with a lot of F-bombs, like traded. Who 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 really wants you? <laughs> I said, you're six foot five. You're, you play like you're five foot six. I, I mean, I just, I, I ripped him. And again, I I didn't feel good about it because that wasn't my style. But I, w- I was just angry. We had lost another game. And here's this guy wanted to be traded thinking that he has value. So uh, I uh, I had that conversation with him. Then uh, at the end of the year, I gave each guy kind of a report card. And I told Dan, I said, you're going to be a pro prospect because of your size, but you need to, you know, you need to, you know, put weight on, you need to, you know, work on your game. You know, I, I gave him three or four things to do. And I, I mean, he did, he did them like he got bigger, he got stronger, he got, you know, tougher in the middle. He, you know, went hard to the net. Like he did all the things that, that, you know, I asked, and, and, and again, if you're asking me, did I envision him to have a career? He didn't know, <laughs> not at all. Like, I, I, I wish I could take credit for that, but I, I don't, but, but I, 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 you know, the part of the story Dan doesn't tell is, and, and this is, this shows the character of Dan Dawson is he came up to me at the end of the season. He thanked me. He said, thank you for setting me straight. He said, I was blaming the team and everyone else, and I needed to look in the mirror. Thank you. And, I, and again, that was he was a 19-year-old kid, and I was like, I mean, I was for once in my life speechless. I didn't know what to say because it, it just caught me. But, I mean, that shows the maturity level of, of, a, of a young man. And, uh, and, and, again, he did everything that he needed to do to, to have a great career. And, and again, the league, uh, you know, the league – was lucky to have a guy like that play for, you know, 20 plus years and contribute and, and not to mention the legacy he has, the leadership that he's taught so many young players in the league that, that they're going to pass that on to others. So yeah, great, great, uh, great guy, great story. And uh, I still call him, uh, still call him a friend today. Well, and that's a tough conversation to have with a moody 19, 20 year old lacrosse player at the junior ranks. Like, you know, how do you approach conversations? Like some guys could have taken that and went, screw you trade me anyways and then two years later they're not even playing lacrosse anymore so how do you make sure you're not breaking a guy in a conversation like that yeah i think it was one of the uh sports performance guys we work with jeremy boone he he has a saying and he says all improvement begins with the truth and uh if you know every athlete wants to improve no one ever says hey i'm i'm good enough i don't need to be better lebron james is working on his game, right? Like, you know, uh, all these guys are working on their game to get better. And uh, so I, I think if you preface it that it's directed as a, as an improvement, you know, aspect, 
that, Hey, like, yeah, this is truth. I mean, I could have sugarcoated it and, and, and said nothing to him and just said, okay, I will try to trade you and, and, you know, get him out of Dodge. And, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't what was going to help improve him and make him a better player. And, and, uh, but it is tough because uh, just like I said earlier, every, every guy's different, What works for one's not going to work for another. Some guys are going to a shell. So it's really about, you know, kind of knowing your, knowing your athlete and, uh, and, and, and there's a trust level that, you know, we always say to our guys that you have to trust that we're going to make the best decisions for the team. And sometimes those best decisions for the team may not necessarily be the best decisions for the player at that time, but you know, we're, we're, we're working, you know, we're trying to be a good team. So, uh, so yeah, Dan, you know, Dan took it well, but yeah, you're right. Other guys might not have. And, uh, but you know, I, and I think too, like I was, you know, I was a lot younger then too. And, and uh, I, uh, you know, I, I, I might handle it a little different these days than I would have <laughs> back then, but, but it was, uh, yeah, I, I think just the honesty with players. And, and if you ask players, they, they want to, you know, some of them don't think they want the truth, but they, you know, you know, then Jack Nicholson, right. They, 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 they can't handle the truth. They can't handle so, the truth. So some can, and you got to find out who can. And, and those are the players that are going to get better from hearing the, hearing the truth and hearing, Hey, this is what you need to work on. This is what isn't good enough. This is, you know, what you have to do to make, make things better. So uh, yeah. And, and uh, again, not every athlete wants to hear that, but uh, the ones that do are typically the ones that, that are going to uh, you know climb the ranks and get better. What kind of things are you still doing to, to improve as a coach? When you talk about that constant improvement. Uh, I think for me, uh, a big part of it is uh, I, I, I try to watch a lot of um, interviews with coaches. I try to read a lot of books. Um, I, I go to some coaching seminars through the uh, national coaching certification program. There's, you know, different coaching cert- uh, programs. And some of those are, are not necessarily specific to, uh, to lacrosse, but just, you know, general, you know, that's how you, you know, deal with people and, and, you know, you know, big issue now is like mental health issues with athletes that, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't you know talk about those things. And now we, we do. So understanding how that impacts athletes, how to handle those. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I love, I love, uh, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've watched some, you know, some of the, Sports documentaries, the um, the All Blacks, the Legacy one, um, you know, kind of forget what it's called, like not Hard Knocks, but one of those ones with with the All Blacks. It was just so phenomenal. It's, it's called it's called Legacy. It's tough to find. Yeah. I know. I've, I've, yeah. Um, yeah. It's honestly the most recommended book by NLL coaches. Paul Day has referenced it. I think Tracy Kaluski handed it out to his team. Everyone should track this book down. It seems like. It's a great book. And then they had like a, a documentary on it too. And just seeing behind the scenes and uh, those things really fascinate me. And, and uh, yeah, there's so many good coaches out there and, um, and, and, you know, you look at a guy like um, Greg Popovich in you know, San Antonio, right. He's been around for a lot of years. He's had, you know, great years, had not so great years, but he's stayed the course and he's been true to himself and uh, the players love playing for him. And, and, you know, that's the type of, guy you say wow like he's you know I'm, I'm not even sure how old he is now but I mean, he's well into his 60s maybe even early 70s and he's still he's still you know hammering away and uh but uh but the other thing that's important and and um you know I had a I had someone say this to me many years ago is that you know the, the players are changing and either you know you have to change with them or you have to 
you know, you have to, you know, get out. And that was actually Frank, Frankie Nielsen said that to us with uh, the national team. And when we were, we were coaching with the national team, he had said like, there's just, yeah, what, what worked 20 years ago doesn't work now. So if you don't adapt as a coach, then your, your success is not going to be there. Your players aren't going to be happy. Like, you know, there's no more like, you know, Woody Hayes grabbing face masks and, you know, doing that type of stuff that just doesn't fly anymore. And, and, you know, for, for many reasons, but, but certainly understanding the, the younger athlete and, you know, we joke about it all the time on the calls that, uh, you know, we're doing the zoom calls or the team's calls with the team. And, and, uh, I'm the guy running the, I, I said, the oldest guy in the call is the guy running the tech. I said, what's wrong with this picture guys? Like I've got, I've got, I've got, you know, 25 guys in the call that know a lot more about the, the tech stuff than I do. So, uh, yes, yeah, staying relevant and, and just understanding how the athletes are changing is, is really important. So as coaches, I think we all have to work on, on doing that and understanding that, you know, we have to adapt with the times. Who are the toughest kind of players to coach? Uh, I think the toughest players to coach, I mean, I've, I've coached, I've coached a lot of quote unquote superstars and, uh, I, I was telling someone this story the other day and I, I've, I've shared it with other people before too, is that when you have, when you have like superstar players and like, uh, John Grant, like, uh, uh, Colin Doyle, uh, um, Casey Powell, Lyle Thompson, I said, those guys, and in, in, in the last case, he, he is actually an artist. But I always say, those guys are like artists. I said, they're create, creative. And um, it, it, can be, it, it can be very challenging coaching those guys if you try to give them a, the canvas and tell them what to paint. If you give them the blank canvas and say, create what you want, those guys are, are great players. So I think understanding that with, with those type of athletes and, and, and I think sometimes, you know, there's, there's guys that uh, there's uh, you know, some of the young guys in the league come in and, uh, you know, they played, you know, a bunch of years, a junior, they, you know, they, they grew up playing lacrosse and, and they think they know the game and, you know, they know a game, but they don't know the pro game. And so sometimes with those young kids, it takes time. I, I don't want to say you got to break them down and build them up, but, you, you, you got to teach some things. And, you know, we've had guys come to us that, you know, we're saying, okay, let's run a pick and roll drill. And they go to do a pick and you're like, what was that? Well, <laughs> I was picking them. I said, no, you weren't like, so, so sometimes it's with some of those guys, you've got, you got to spend time like teaching things that you think they know and they know, but they don't know the way that's going to be effective at the pro level. And then that's something that, you know, you, you see that in, you know, you see that in a lot of sports, you see the, you know, the guy who's a, you know, uh, a good college football player becomes a star pro player and vice versa. The guy who's a great college player who doesn't make him the pros and, you know, their games just didn't translate or they didn't adapt. And um, so that's something we, you know, we spend a lot of time with, with our young players. And and I've been very fortunate over the years too. Every team I've coached has had great veteran leadership, you know, whether it's on offense or defense and those guys, I mean, the, the impact of those guys is immeasurable in successful organizations to be able to, mentor the young guys and help the young guys and, and create, create an atmosphere that they're going to learn and, and improve and, and help the team ultimately. Along those similar lines is your, your success and track record with American players who I think would meet a lot of that same criteria. I think they know one way to play. They think they know lacrosse and they're coming into a brand new environment. You're like, no, actually let's, let's try this. Do you sort of take the same approach with an American coming in? 
Yeah, and, and one of the great things, and I've said this before about coaching some of the the young U.S. players that come in, is that they they haven't been taught, you know, twenty years how to play box across. They're 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 brand new to it, and and the majority of those guys come in like with really like open minds, uh, great attitudes, you know, great athletes ready to ready to play and and. And so, so for me, I, I love it. I've had, I've had great success. We had, you know, a championship year in Rochester. We had a number of Americans. We had a number of Americans in New York. And, and when I was in Colorado, we had a bunch. So I, I, I in, in, in Georgia, of course, too. And I, I think it's, yeah, the, the great thing, uh, you know, one, one of the challenges always with, with the American players is the, uh, is kind of the, the one thing you have to break them of is calling you coach. And saying yes, sir, every time you talk to them. So that's always one of the uh, one of the things I say to. So when they call me coach, I call them player. So I say no, call me Eddie. I, I prefer to be called Eddie. So, uh, but yeah, it's uh, once you get to know the guys, they're they're great guys, and and they want to play. And, and uh, you know, I, I've said a number of times about the U.S. players coming in. I said, you know, you know, show me a guy who says I got worse playing box lacrosse, and I will tell you that's the first person I've ever heard say that. So. <laughs> These guys come in. I think they love it because they love the game. It's exciting. It's such a great game. And, you know, if they're going back to play a, another sport, another, you know, play field somewhere, it makes them better. Like there's just no two ways about it. It makes them better. So, you know, they, yeah, so many great, uh, great U.S. players I've coached. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to say I prefer coaching the U.S. guys, but, but I certainly don't shy away from it. And I know some teams kind of, you know, and but the challenge is always the on-the-job learning thing, right? Like you've got to find the right guy who's willing to invest the time. And I, I give a lot of credit to Tom Schreiber uh, and Kieran McCardle, their first year in Toronto. I mean, they you know they came up to practice every week, and and that's how they got better. Like I don't think, I mean, Tom Schreiber's a great player. He would still be a great player. I don't think he'd be as good if he didn't practice. And and that's the challenge with some of the players that haven't played box across is getting them those reps, getting them those minutes to to improve and, and learn the game. Yeah, and and in our league, it's very tough to develop a player long term to have that passion or have that patience to give a guy a yeah. practice roster spot for a year and and kind of guide him. How do you know which one of those players are to invest in? Like, what is the interview process like? What kind of questions are you asking to know if TJ Camizio is ready to commit one hundred percent? I think uh, a lot of it's got to do with like watching them play. And, you know, Dave Huntley used to say this all the time, like, you know, th this guy's skills transfer to the box game and this guy's skills do not transfer to the box game. So it's really trying to have an eye to see, okay, is, is, uh, are they going to be able to compete at, at, in, in a, in a smaller where decisions are made quicker, all those things. And, you know, what skill set do they have? And, and, you know, like, you know, a lot of college lacrosse, you watch, you know, players. I mean, they alley dodge down the outside. They, with their stick to the outside, they throw the ball, you know, 100 miles an hour and they pick corners. I mean, unbelievable athletes. Great job. That that doesn't really work in the box game. And, uh, you know, it might on occasion, but, you know, you need to have a guy that says, okay, can they play in the pick and roll game? Can they uh, uh, can they set a pick? Um, you know, can they adapt to, to the speed of the game and decision making? And, and same with the D guys too. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, is, is important is over the years is, uh, you know, we find we've had good success with guys that have played hockey. And just because when you come from hockey, you've, you know, you're used to the flow of the game, you're used to the boards, you're used to the, the contact, the aggression. And like, you know, Mitch Belial, we, we had, 
was like, I think I was told he was like, uh, you know, all New Jersey, like hockey player. Right. And he comes in and, you know, he, he got the game quickly. And John Orson was another guy we had that was a, a great player that played hockey. And it, I think it really, it really helps. Um, and, and especially from a spacing point of view. And we, we had a player uh, one year when I was with the Titans, he catches a ball in the corner. He starts backpedaling out away from the goal. And he like literally backs, you know, backs <laughs> into the boards. We were all laughing, right. But, you know, he's thinking he's got another 15 yards. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's understanding that, you know, that, and, and just the decision-making is, is so big. So something that, you know, I think a lot of teams try to do is, you know, when training camps, you try to do a lot of decision-making drills to really see how quick people can process the, the information and, and make decisions. Cause, and it's, and it's not like field too, where, you know, things are wider and you got more time to run around. Like you got to make, you got to process things quickly and make decisions quick. And, and it's very dynamic and, and there's not, you know, there's not a whole lot of coaching from the bench in the pro level. Like, you know, got, you, you may see coaches yelling, but believe me, when there's 10,000 people in the building, nobody hears. So there's just no <laughs> sense of yelling instructions from the bench because uh, other than making ourselves feel good about yelling instructions, it doesn't, no one hears it out there. What are you most focused then on in-game from the middle of the bench? What sort of nuances and specifics are you looking at that you can address with your team at half? I try to watch the flow of the game and, you know, some transition stuff, uh, you know, really, you know, making sure that, you know, we're doing the right things, transitioning to defense and transitioning to offense. Like it's, you know, it's great to watch a guy get a breakaway and watch the guy run in. But that's not as important as do we have a guy back covering if we don't score, right? And so those are the type of things that I try to look for and and really try to be be aware of. And and you know sometimes it's a, a you know a conversation with a player when he comes off. Sometimes it's a you know whisper in the coach's ear and, and they have the conversation. Uh, but but I think you know as I think most people would say as a head coach you're you know you you want to try to take the pulse of the team and hey are we are we too excited do we need to bring them down or are we too low do we need to bring them up and and once again uh, you know i i mean i'm very fortunate in in georgia having jordan mcintosh as our captain i mean he's a great leader and he uh you know him and i are we don't always agree on everything but we're kind of aligned in that thinking and and you know sometimes i, I don't even have to say it like i'm about to say something and he says it and 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 it's just so much more powerful coming from within than it is coming from uh, above. So, uh, but yeah, re really, uh, that's, you know, I've seen that as my role is really kind of, you know, uh, watching the flow of the game, uh, you know, giving some, you know, tidbits here and there and, and, you know, really, you know, making sure that we're following the principles that we have. And, and, you know, sometimes it's, you know, occasionally I'll say, Hey, let's, you know, let's like shorten the bench, you know, the, whether it's defensively or, or offensively, I'll say, hey, let's, you know, run, you know, this play or let's, you know, think about, you know, this look. But, but uh, you know, I think most coaches in the league would say when you're a head coach, you, you want to empower your assistants to, to make those decisions, right? And, and, uh, and again, there's so many good coaches in our league and, and so many guys that are, are very uh, smart, very capable. And, and yeah, we, you know, we, we want those guys to you know, deliver the message and we're going to kind of oversee the, the entire, entire team. You've gotten your jobs in in multiple different ways throughout the teams you've been on. Is it is it a different challenge being promoted from an assistant to a head coach versus walking into a brand new team as a head coach? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a different challenge. Like when I when I when I stepped up from in Rochester from assistant coach to head coach. I mean, I'd been there for 
you know, a year and a half and I knew the players and uh, I, I knew the organization. So, and then going to New York as, you know, head coach GM was, yeah, it was a big adjustment. I didn't know the players. I had to learn the players. I had to learn the organization and, and uh, so, yeah, it's definitely different. Um, I, I think it's, it's, you know, the latter takes much more time and effort because of the relationships that you have to now develop and, and, and understand, you know, understand what the norms were with the, under the old you know regime and whether those are acceptable with you or you want to change that. And, and I don't know, every coach is going to say when they come in and, you know, they're going to put their own you know slant on things and do their own thing. Uh, but sometimes you, you don't have to do as, as much as what, you know, outsiders believe, right? Like if you have a good culture and you have a good, uh, you know, you have good leadership within, you have good players, like, you know, sometimes it's, and, and that was, you know, I was very fortunate in New York. I mean, we tweaked some things, but Adam Mueller and his staff did a great job. And, uh, you know, when he left because of some family commitments, I stepped into a, a great situation. So it's, you know, it, it's really about uh, in, in those situations, assessing what you're, what you're going into and, and really trying to, you know, trying to find a way to build upon what was there. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough when you hear people say this is a complete rebuild. I mean, you, you know, you're talking, you know, years, right, in, in a rebuild. And we've had some teams in the league that have been rebuilding for a number of years. And it's, it's, it's tough. And it's, and it's tough as a coach to, to stick around in those because, you know, people get tired of, people get tired of losing. People get tired of not having success. And, and all of a sudden there's changes. So, so really, uh, you know, I, I think for the most part, it's, it's just – when you're in a new situation is, you know, recognizing the culture, recognizing uh, the leadership and the players, and then, you know, developing your plan from there. So is that, if you were to walk into a new room right now, are those kind of the first things you're starting to assess? Who are the leaders? Who's jumping out? Who's um, what kind of principles have been instilled before? How are you learning what's been going on? If you were to walk into a new room. Biggest part is just the, the conversations and, and, you know, there's, there's, you know, people there that are, you know, the, the assumption is, you know, everyone in the league wants to win. And, uh, and that is the assumption. But one of my sayings I say to guys is everyone wants to win, but you have to want to be, have to want to win unconditionally. If you put conditions on winning, such as, I only want to win if I get my points, if I get my minutes, if I get my touches, that, that's not truly wanting to win. Uh, so it has to be unconditional. And, and so that's something when you, you know, talk to guys, you, you find out and you find out there's, you know, Hey, who's, who shares that same philosophy that they want to win unconditionally who uh, you know, who are the leaders, uh, you know, and, and, and obviously from a strategy point of view, you want to find out, you know, Hey, what did you guys do? What worked for you? Because, you know, sometimes going into a team, uh, they may have a system that works great for that group. It may be different than my system. And I had a coach say to me one time, you know, hey, well, what's this, what's your system? I said, well, what team do I have? Like I said, it, <laughs> it really depends on your players, right? You can't, you know, you, you, you can't fit, you know, uh, the square pegs into the round hole. Uh, so knowing, knowing who you have, knowing, you know, what they were doing, and, you know, sometimes it's just a simple thing as, hey, what you guys are doing is great, but let's tweak it. Let's add this or let's think about this factor. And and uh, but those all happen via conversations and observation. Like there's just not, you know, no one no one's going to you know hand you a manual on the way on their way out and say, hey, look, you know, here's here's what you need to do. So it's you got to kind of sniff that out on your own. But it's yeah, it, it's, you know, watching, you know, watching games that they played in, watching, uh, 
you know, watching, you know, the dynamic of the team and, you know, having conversations with guys. That's, that's really, you know, I think the only way to figure that out. Do you have, do you have some, some particular Ed Camo principles though, that can be taken to every team that you've been on ones that can follow you around, depending on that don't depend on the personnel of the team? Yeah. I I think for me uh, having, uh, it's it's very cliche to say you know you got to work hard. You know I always say when I hear someone say you got to work hard, I always say, well, how do we quantify working hard? What what is what does working hard look like? And so you know I, I never I never talk about working hard. I talk about uh, little things like how we run on the floor, how we run off the floor, right on, on changes, right? That's that's you know that that's that's not a skill. That's a choice, right? It's a choice you make whether you run hard on or run hard off. And, you know, a, g- a great example of coaches in the league right now, Sean Williams. You know, if you go back and watch Sean Williams play, he ran off hard every shift. And and I remember him saying, my goal was as I'm running off is to catch the guy in front of me. That's a choice he made. Like he didn't, he didn't have to, right? There's lots of guys in the league who don't run off hard. But I mean that that's 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 a simple thing. So those are the, those are the type of things that, you know, we talk about. You know, be, committing. If you want to commit to be winning, uh, and you want to commit to do what it takes to have that success, then you have to do the little things. And and you know, little. You know, we try to define what the little things are, right? Um, you know, having a good plan on faceoffs, uh, running hard on on and off the floor. You know, uh, you know, moving the ball on offense. You know, defensively. Uh, you know, uh, taking away shooting lanes, uh, running hard to the bench, like all those, those are little things that, you know, it, it wouldn't matter like, you know, X's and O's, you know, I, I didn't talk about any X's and O's stuff. It's all about just, you know, doing the little things and, and that goes to the effort. Yeah. I think just, you know, as I say, just trying to, you know, understand, you know, what, what works for the team and, and how you can, you know, tweak some things and it's, yeah, it's uh, it's a tough situation. I I, uh, I know a lot of coaches have gone into expansion teams, and you know you're you're starting from scratch, right? And that's that's a real blank slate versus you know going to an existing team. So uh, yeah, it, it's you know every coach has their own style, but but certainly, as I said, un- understanding the the athletes and what you know what they're capable of, and 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 not asking guys to do anything that they're not capable of. Like I'm not going to ask. Uh, uh, you know, a big, a big D guy to be a 30 goal scorer. It's just not going to happen. He's going to get frustrated. I'm going to get frustrated, but really finding the roles for those guys. And, and that goes back to what Les, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about roles with, with Les and, you know, really, you know, role, you know, role clarity, role acceptance, and then role performance. And that's something that, you know, you need, you need from your athletes. And, and that's a way to, you know, you hear a lot of coaches talk about accountability now, and that's a way to, you know, you know, to hold people accountable to say, Hey, your role was to do this. Did you do it? No. Well, you know, what's, what, what are we going to do about it? Right. So, so yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's a lot of conversations that, that go into developing a team and building a team. I've heard you say too, before that managing players is different than coaching players. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? What does that mean to you? I, I think, you know, people, it, and, and this maybe goes back to less like we, we probably never had that exact conversation, but it's very similar. Like, you know, coaching, we all perceive coaching as the X and O's, 
but sometimes, you know, managing players is, you know, managing, you know, the things going on in the room, managing, you know, the, the, the group itself. And, and I, and I, I thought in 2007, when we won in 2007, I, I spent more time managing our group than I did coaching our group. Like our group was so talented with junior and Willie and Micah Kersey and, Sean and Scotty Evans, like, you know, and Patty O'Toole and Ned and Reggie. We had so many great players that, uh, yeah, it wasn't about the X and O's. It was about, you know, keeping them on the right path, finding finding the right things to say at the right time to that group. So much more about managing than, than drawing up plays. And, and I think, again, uh, you know, from the outside, you know, people, you know, people look and they – you know, they, they look at coaches and, you know, drawing up plays. And I mean, drawing up plays are really important, but sometimes it's about managing the people to get them in the situation that you can drop those plays. And, and uh, so, yeah, so I, you know, I, I, you know, coaching is all encompassing, but I look at, you know, coaching being, you know, part of coaching is managing people, but uh, depending on your team, you may have to do more managing than you do coaching. And that's, you know, again, that that's in, individual for each you know, each coach and each team in the league. How did you manage the ups and downs of of last season? Uh, the 0-7 <laughs> start and not having this group get get dejected and then having that belief later in the season that, oh, guys, we can actually make a playoff run here if we if we clean it up. Yeah, it was, it was difficult. It was really difficult. And uh, I had never in my career had, had kind of a run like that. And, uh, but um, in when you get in a situation like that, there's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions on, you know, you should do this or you should do that. Or have you tried this? Have you tried that? And, and uh, ultimately I, I, I got advice from, you know, someone I, I uh, really trust and respect as, as a leader and said, like, you know, follow your instincts, follow what you, you think is best. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, our guys, I give credit to our guys. Like we were, you know, we were obviously upset about where we were, but we knew that's not, that wasn't our true, you know, our true game. And, and we, you know, we had, you know, we had, uh, we lost some games early. And then, you know, when Brett Dobson went in, uh, you know, he was finding his way through, through some of those losses. And, but you could just see we were, we were getting better and, and our schedule was tough and, you know, but like I say to guys, like we don't make the schedule. We just show up and play the game. So we can't control that. And, you know, whether it's a, you know, quote unquote, easy schedule, hard schedule, like it's it, the schedule is the schedule. So, so, but I think at, at when we got to 0 and 7, you know, it was a hard look in the mirror and we kind of said, Hey, like, you know, we, we need to, we need to stop blaming scheduling. We need to stop blaming officials. We need to stop blaming, you know, bad luck. And, and we need, we need to, we need to, take accountability on it. And, and uh, you know, I, I know our, our group with, within our group, the, the leadership of our team, you know, they had a lot of talks and they had some, you know, tough talks about, about things. And, you know, we had some tough conversations with players too, that were underperforming that, you know, and, and trying to get to the bottom of it, like, Hey, what, you know, what's, you know, what's, what's the issues, what can we do better as, as a team? What can you do better individually to help the team? And, and uh, again, I give a lot of credit to our guys because no one, uh, you know, it would have been very easy at 0-7 to just wave the white flag and say, okay, let's, you know, let's, you know, let's, uh, you know, put ourselves in the Dyson Williams sweepstakes. And, and, but there was, it was none of that. Like it was all like we truly believed. And, 
And, you know, I, I think, you know, honestly, the end of the season, you know, Andrew Q being out the last couple of games, you know, really hurt us. And, um, and we just ran out of gas. Like we, we played like uh, one of my players said, we played playoff games for like, you know, <laughs> months. For, like, months. for months. We were, we were in the play. Like we said, every game's a playoff yeah. game for us. It, and it was, and, and that was tough. Like when, and, and we also had, like, we played, our last game was our 14th game in 13 weekends. And, you know, we were banged up and we just ran out of gas, but, but, you know, great credit to our guys that they, they believed and they, they, they fought through the adversity. They fought through the injuries and, and uh, yeah, we put ourselves at a chance. Like we, we said to go from all in seven to be in a position that we control their own destiny. Like that. I mean, to me, that's that, you know, that, that, if if we had got to where I thought we would have got to that, you know, might've been the story of the year in our league. Cause we just didn't, you know, people wrote us off and the vultures were circling, you know, trying to, Hey, you're trading this guy, you're trading that guy. And we said, no, cause we're going to, we're going to get back to where we should be. And again, fell, fell short by, by a game, but uh, you know, certainly going to use that as, as motivation and, and try to start, start our season at a much higher level this year than, than what we did last year. Do you define, was that a successful season then to you? Like, how do you define success? Obviously everyone's chasing a championship, but can you look yeah. back on that year now and go, wow, like we, we really did accomplish something. Yeah. I, I think there's success and there's accomplishments. And, and I, you know, one of the things I always say to players is that when the season ends, when the season starts, everyone's wants to win a championship. Everyone's going to win a championship. It doesn't matter. Every team in the league believes they're going to win the championship. I said, at the end of the season, only one of those teams is truthful. The other 14 were, you know, were, were lied. Uh, but I, what I say to guys is that uh, at the end of the season, there's two categories. There's the champions and everyone else is in. There's no like, runners up. Everyone else is in the other category. And I call it the woulda, coulda, shoulda category, right? Well, we should have won that game. We could have won that game. We would have won that game if that had happened. And that's not a category you want to be in. So, so we're in that category with every other team in the league other than Buffalo. And uh, so, yeah, was it successful? No, uh, because ultimately you want to be where Buffalo was. That's where you want to be. And uh, so success, no. Did we accomplish a lot of things? Yes. I mean, we, we, you know, we, we, we've got a, a good young goalie that played, you know, really well for us in, in a lot of big games. Um, and, you know, we developed some young players. We, you know, we found some, you know, we found some good chemistry in our offensive group. Like we, we did a lot of good things. So yeah, there was accomplishments, uh, but you know, success wasn't there. And, and that's, you know, something that, you know, for two years in a row, this is a team that hasn't made the playoffs and, and that's, you know, not acceptable to our players, not acceptable to our staff, not acceptable to our ownership. And, and, you know, we, we have enough talent that we should be there. So, uh, you know, I, I think this year, you know, like every other team, we're, 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 we want to win a championship, but, but we know the first step is getting, you know, getting back to the playoffs. And, and that's, that's something that's, uh, you know, we're, we're going to go all in for that this year. Do you believe in sort of those preseason mantras, like the, the slogans that you see on a practice t-shirt and unfinished business, or, you know, one, one more step forward, things like that. Do you have any mantras or mottos going into, to a new season for a team? You know, I, I think a lot of teams established those. And, and I mean, we did it with the rock. It was something less did a lot, but it wasn't less Derek Keenan, Johnny Meridian and I determining it was the players. And, 
you know, we had, uh, you know, we talked about it. We said, hey, what's our theme going to be? And, and, and you know, uh, I remember, uh, I remember uh, our most famous one was after Caleb Toth's winning goal the next year. Every second counts, right? <laughs> and what, what, I mean, that, that might be the yeah. best one of all time, right? Based yeah. on what we experienced. So uh, I, I think they're very, um, they have to be organic. They can't be forced. They can't be something that, you know, as a coach, I say, hey, we're going to, it's unfinished business. We got work to do. Like, it's got to be something that comes from within the group. And, uh, and, and, you know, some years there's, there's nothing. Like some years it's just like, hey, you know what? We don't need to have that. And we don't need to put a slogan on a shirt to, to say that we need to, you know, what we need to do or how we're going to play. Uh, we all know how we're going to play. We talk about it. We live it. So, um, yeah, sometimes we've done it. And, and you know, and, and, you know we, we had one a few years back that, uh, you know, talent is never enough. And, and that, you know, that's something that you know, went to a book that we, you know, we read about, uh, you know, about, um, about grit and, and, you know, the teams that, you know, talent, talent is only going to get so far, but, you, you know, you're, you're going to have to add more than just talent to the mix. So, uh, so yeah, you know, we kind of let the, the players kind of manage that and, and find, you know, we find a number of instances where, you know, the, the players come up with something great and we're like, Hey, that, that sounds great. Let's, let's go with that. And, but it's not something that I, I, I feel that I should be, you know, putting down to the players. That's something that's got to come from within the group. Did I read that you have a master's degree in coaching? Yes, I, uh, I did a, um, I always wanted to go and, and do like uh, some sports psychology uh, kind of work. And I originally graduated from McMaster with a commerce degree and worked in sales for a number of years. And, and uh, I always kind of wanted to do something, but there, you know, back in those days, there wasn't a whole lot of online type stuff. Right. And I was working with a colleague one day who she was doing her, her master's at the university of Phoenix. And she was like, she was explaining to me, like, sounds crazy. So she said, well, you should Google what you want. And so I Googled it. I'm like, oh, my God, there's a school. So it's, uh, it was called the United States Sports Academy. It's in Daphne, Alabama. And it, uh, it specialized in, uh, in, in, at that time in graduate studies, you know, master's and PhDs. And uh, so I you know, signed up for it. And uh, you know, luckily, the job that I had at the time, they were gracious enough to, uh, to, to pay for it. Nice. And uh, yeah, I did it part time over five years. And with a lot of help from my uh, wife editing and uh, my uh, a lot of papers uh, written and uh, my wife editing them and and uh, but yeah, so I have a master's. It's uh, it's called master's in sports science and I specialize in sport coaching and uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of good things. Things that I, I use. Uh, it was a very like broad degree where we you know we talked about facilities management and you know marketing and and everything else and uh, a lot of people that take those courses like. Uh, one of the, the most famous graduate who passed away a couple of years ago was Mike Leach, the coach, uh, the football coach, uh, University of Texas, and a couple others. He was a graduate of there, and a lot of a lot of people that want to be athletic directors take that program. And uh, but yeah, it was great. It's something I you know always been passionate about coaching, and and you know having an opportunity to do that. And uh, it was yeah, it was it was great. What keeps you What keeps you motivated today? What keeps you coming back every season? Well. I, I think there's obviously a, every coach has a competitive streak and, and you want to win. One of the things that I love about it, especially as I've gotten older is, is being in, and you hear players say that when they retire, what do you miss most? Right. I miss the locker room. Right. And, and for me, you know, I'm not necessarily in the locker room, but I'm around the team. And 
and certainly uh, being around all these young, uh, you know, athletes, it, it's just so much fun, right? It, it's, it just, it, it, you know, it really adds to your, uh, you know, adds to your, your joy in life. And, and uh, again, I think, you know, if you talk to coaches who stop coaching, they'd say that's what they miss. They miss the interactions. They miss the personal relationships and, and uh, yeah, it's fun. I, I also coach at, uh, uh, help coach a, a team at, university team in the Kufla league and in, in, uh, at McMaster. And, and, you know, and now, you know, now you're around like 18, 18 to, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 23, 24 year olds. So it's, 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 yeah, it's a different dynamic, but it's just fun being around, being around the, the young, uh, the young athletes and, and, you know, and, and seeing, you know, and, and, and I think the other thing that I love about it is, is I love watching players. I, I love over the years watching players, develop as players, but develop as people too. And, you know, guys that, you know, we coached back in the rock days now, uh, you know, their, their kids are playing right where, you know, we're, we're, you know, Austin Hazen's playing in the league, uh, you know, Clarkie's son is, you know, in Philadelphia, like you see, you, you watch these, you watch these players when they were young and you watch them grow up, you know, from being in university or just out of university. And then, you know, now they're, now they're, you know, their, their fathers, their, their parents and, and their kids. So it's, that's a real cool part of it is, is seeing that happen. And, uh, and uh, I said, you know, maybe when we get to the grandchildren part of it, when I see someone's grandchild in the league, that might be time for me to go. <laughs> hey, but so far, I'm safe, happen. I think. So. It could yeah, happen. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure it will. There's so, college uh, kids out there making life decisions right now, and who knows what could happen. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> three generations. Who would, it, who, would, who would it be? You know, let's let's speculate. Who could have three gen? What family could have three generations? I don't, yeah, you, know, you, you wonder. Mm. Yeah, you, you, you wonder. There's got to be uh, – you know, I know, uh, I mean, there's so many, so many good players now and, and so many, and again, you see a name and like now when you, if you see someone's name, like right away, you're like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so's, you know, uh, uh, uncle, his uncle or his, yeah. his uh, dad. So yeah, so many, so many good players and so many good young athletes and yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting time for lacrosse and, and especially with the recent Olympic announcement with the sixes and, and you know, we've talked about on league level, like how close the sixes is to box, right? If you change the, you know, the nets and put boards behind it, it would be box. And uh, I mean, it is the game that we're going to play in the Olympics. And, and you know, we're as, as, as national team, we're going to embrace it. And we're going to, you know, we're going to do everything we can to, to try to bring home, you know, bring home a gold in 2028. So it's, it's an exciting time for, for young players to be involved in, in this great game. Well, what I'm hearing what I'm hearing is a guy who really, you sound very, you're having fun and you're, you're passionate about the sport. You're passionate about being a part of it. Um, and I think guys radiate, radiate off that. I can pick up off that. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and uh, yeah, if, and, and I say that to, you know, people I've coached with people I've worked with, if you're not, if you can't have fun doing this, like, why are you doing it? Like it's, it's a lot of work, but you, you, you gotta have laughs. You gotta have fun. And, it's been a blessing and it's, it's been great. It's given me great opportunities to, to, you know, meet great people, to, to travel to great places, bring my family with me to a lot of places. So it's been, it's been awesome. And, and I owe a lot to the game and uh, as, as, as all of us do. And, and, you know, I think we, we, we all take that serious that, you know, we're, we're not just employees or participants. We're, you know, the stewards of the game, we're the ambassadors and we, we have to, you know, we, you know, we all love this game and we want it to grow. And, and that's, you know, that, that's something that I think all of us take very serious. 
Yeah, that's you're, you're spot on there. And I feel this as a broadcaster and I'm sure, and I know the coaches and players feel this, but it's almost like there's a responsibility that if you're going to be part of this great game, you need to represent it in the best way possible. And stewardship is a, is a great statement for that. Um, I, I feel like that's how, that's how we all feel being around this game. That said, I've been ending this with, um, do you believe in lacrosse gods? In, in what sense? This game holds such a cultural and spiritual importance like, on a, like any other sport. Um, a lot of coaches have said it just means like ball don't lie and, and good karma, treat the game well and good things will happen. You know, just what does that statement mean for you? I think for me, it, it means, uh, it, I think it means that the game is bigger than any one of us. And that, uh, you know, back, back to the point about, you know, respecting the game and nurturing the game, you know, that, that to me is, is what all of our goals should be, right? We all want to win. We all want to do this, but not everyone's going to win. So when you're not winning, what are you, what are you going to do to, to, to nurture the game. So, you know, whether that's a lacrosse God or whether that's uh, just what our, our, our mantra should be as, as people in the game. Uh, I, I think, I think to me, that's, that's the most important thing that we, uh, and, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, go back to the all blacks, they talk about leave, leave the place better than what you found it. And, and I think for us, we all want to leave the game better than what, you know, than what we found it and then what, where it is now. And if, and if we all commit to doing that, I mean, you know, our, our, our grandchildren will be still playing lacrosse and it'll be, you know, even a better game than what it is today. And let's have some fun while we're at it. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Eddie. Thank you so much. That's uh, our first chat, but I've really taken a lot away from this and I appreciate your time. I know I kept you for a full hour and hopefully do this again when you guys are in Vancouver. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. We'll see you out there. Ed Camo, the legend, head coach of the Georgia Swarm in the National Lacrosse League. This has been Coach's Calls, conversations with the leaders of lacrosse. Thank you for listening. Thank you for liking and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Brad Challoner. You can find me on Twitter at Brad Chow, on Instagram at Brad Challoner, the podcast at Coach's Calls, or heck, you can even email me, Podcast at gmail.com. Hope to talk to you soon, and uh, we'll see you on the road. Peace.